Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, Happy to see all of you here today. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we are in Sermon 3 of our sermon series entitled, Purpose Built. And, and here's the reason for this sermon series. Um, there are unseen things that congregations do. There are unseen things that you do as Christians that, that, um, that have an impact on the world around you and on the people around you. Uh, they have a word for this. Sometimes we call that word culture. And it's something that you know it when you see it, you know it when you feel it, you know it when, when um, you're kind of in the midst of it, but it's a little bit harder to kind of pin those things down. And the truth is, so if any of you are in the corporate world, uh, you know this to be true. In fact, um, um, businesses spend lots and lots of money on culture shaping within corporations, right? Culture shaping within uh, um, um, businesses, culture shaping within communities and government, spend lots of money on trying to shape culture. And why are they doing that? It's because culture are the, the unseen, oftentimes unseen underlying framework that, that puts a public face on your business or on your church. And to be honest, for us personally, puts the public face on, on what we are about as believers. And so that's what we're going through. Um, we kind of use that idea of framework. So uh, many of you kind of got to see this building go up. And if you remember back, you remember there was a time when it was nothing more than just metal trusses and posts, right? The framework in your house, the framework in a church, the framework in your life may not get a lot of attention because it's maybe behind drywall and things like that. And yet that framework dictates what happens in the room in which it frames. This sanctuary was built in such a way in order to facilitate what we're doing today. (laughs) Worship, right? Uh, A bathroom is framed in a different way. A kitchen is framed in a different way. The entryway is framed in a different way. And so that's what we want to look at. For us, what's the framing for you? What's the unseen framing in your life as a Christian? That, that puts shape to who you are, what you do, and actually what people see. And so that's what this sermon series is about. The last two that we went through, uh, Pastor Burkholz had one and I had one. Uh, his was on the importance of Scripture being the basis for that framing. Last week we talked about the importance of Christ actually being so foundational. Today we start to turn just a little bit and because Thanksgiving's coming up this week, we're gonna talk about how important Um, that concept of generosity is in our lives as believers. So that's what we want to focus in on. And I think it's appropriate 
Uh, you're all going to celebrate Thanksgiving this coming week. Uh, I think it's a time in our lives, and I've had many of you have been asking questions, say, well, are we doing this, Pastor? Are we doing that for uh, Christmas blessing bags or food drives, things like that? I think kind of universally, this is a time in our lives and in our community when our minds start turning towards, towards Thanksgiving, right? Um, towards giving back and maybe towards that concept of generosity. And so it's good for us, especially I think this time of year as believers, to step back and say, okay, what, what does God actually have to say about us as Christians in this concept of generosity? Okay. So how generous of people are you? Don't raise your hands. Don't tattle on the person next to you. It's a good question for us to kind of think through, isn't it? When we take stock of our life, asking ourselves, how, how generous of people are we? There was a man... Uh, his name was Mr. Liu, uh, came from Zhangjing, China, which I think is the eastern portion of China, and I'm not a China expert, so I probably butchered the name of that, but um, he uh, um, was about, well, at the time of the, the article that I read, he was about 31 years old, and his mom had this idea that maybe, just maybe, he needed to get married. And she thought maybe, just maybe, he wasn't dating quite enough, and so you know what his mom did? She set him up on a blind date. Yeah, wonderful, right? Okay. So his mom sets him up on this blind date. She says to him, I've got this wonderful woman for you. Uh, I want you to go on a blind date with her. And, and Mr. Liu, in order to, to keep his mom happy, and, and he thought, okay, what's the worst that can happen with this blind date? He agrees to it, right? And not only does he agree to it, but he says, you know what? Um, it's a blind date. I'll pay for everything. We don't need to go Dutch. We don't need to do any of that. Um, I'll, I'll pay for everything for this blind date. Well, his mom was thrilled. Uh, the woman was thrilled because she wanted to, to go on this date with him. Um, and so she started kind of setting it up. But in her mind, she wanted, to, she wanted at least uh, at the very beginning to kind of test this guy's character. And so she said to her family, I want all of you to come along with me. Okay? Now, here is her reasoning. She said, she said I want to test, I want to see how generous a man he is, okay? And so he had agreed to this blind date, but he had no idea what was coming. So he shows up at the restaurant, and there is his lovely blind date, and behind her were 23 of her family members, okay? So now you can maybe imagine Mr. Liu's uh, predicament a little bit, because he had, he had already so boldly said, I will pay for this blind date, and now he's looking at his blind date and her entire family with him. So um, he was kind of stuck. They all sat down. They all started eating dinner, and they're having a wonderful time, right? Everybody's there. Everybody's enjoying it. Um, they get to the end of the dinner, and the bill comes, and it's placed squarely in front of Mr. Liu, and the tab came to $3,100. Okay. <laughs> so she was trying to test his generosity, <laughs> right? So what would you do? Would you pay it? Could you, could you pay it is probably the first question. Would you pay it is probably the second question, right? On some level, his generosity was being tested. Now, I wouldn't encourage any of us to test someone's generosity in that way on a blind date, right? Because it's a little bit tricky. Like some of you are like, how in the world, right? Um, so you wanna know what Mr. Lou did? He got the, bell, the bill, he excused himself to go to the bathroom, 
Yeah, you guessed it. He never came back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just left, right? <laughs> Which, and so I read the story and I'm like, huh, I don't know if I should be sad or admire this guy. Like, I don't, I'm like, I'm a little, I'm literally a little bit torn. I'm like, how in the world? Like, his generosity was tested in that moment. He decided just to run. But I think it's a good question for each and every one of us to ask at moments in our lives, right? Um, um, how generous are we? And I would argue that, that especially when we get into our text today, a far deeper question is, for us as believers, what's our motivation to even think about being generous? Because ultimately, that's where Paul is going to draw us down to is the motivation for why we would even consider asking ourselves that question. Mr. Lou ran off. Hopefully, none of you run off during the service or during the offering today, right? So, um, but I read an article recently. Uh, this was an article that, uh, or uh, a study that was done by PayPal, actually in the UK, in Great Britain. So this is not, these are not American stats, but I thought they were a little bit informative, and they're remarkably timely. So this, this uh, um, poll came from, I think it was only about three months ago. So this takes into account kind of some of our, our current world climate pandemic things. Um, and these are some of the stats that came from it. 30, 34% of those in Great Britain said that due to the pandemic, they had become more generous. A little interesting, isn't it? Right? Um, I thought that one was fascinating because I, I think that there is something true to that. I think there are moments in our lives when things get difficult, when we, when we maybe dig a little bit deeper, Right? when, when uh, um, the, the focus becomes a little bit less about us and a little, little bit more about what is happening in the world around us, when we become a little more conscious of some of the suffering and the pain and the struggles that are happening in the world around us, then maybe some of you are part of this 34% during the pandemic. Um, I tried to be, I, specifically like the restaurant industry, like I just tried to, like... My family and I just, we, do, we don't eat out a ton, right? We didn't eat out a ton. During the pandemic, I've eaten out more during the pandemic than I think I had in the, like the previous 10 years. Um, and I, I love eating out, but in part, it, it was, part of it was just this, this move toward um, helping those small businesses that we all knew collectively were, were suffering remarkably, right? So 34% said in difficulty, they actually became a little more generous. $139, this is converted from pounds to U.S. dollars. Um, that's the average giving for a year for those that were in this poll. Yeah, does that seem high or low to you? Yeah, it seems, I thought it seemed a little bit low. So $139 given back to charitable organizations. That would include church. That would include your alumni society. That would include the local food bank, all of those things. So the, the average was about $139 for the year, right? Uh, next one, 31%. This is the percentage of people that considered themselves generous. So that, that were uh, willing to answer that question. They said only about 31% actually viewed themselves as being generous, right? And this last one, which is kind of fascinating to me, 31% um, saw themselves as generous, but 60% um, said they would never volunteer their time for any kind of nonprofit, church, or, or charitable organization. So that was kind of interesting too, wasn't it? Right? Now, I think what this shows just a little bit is that I think in our everyday lives, there's, there's this, 
I think there's a desire to be generous. I think there's a desire in ourselves to view ourselves as generous. But I also think that there are some things that we hold back to ourselves, right? I think that there are areas in our lives where we are happy to be generous, but I'd also guess if you're anything like me, there are areas that maybe we, we pull back from. Today, we wanna talk about that concept of generosity, right? Where it comes from as believers and ultimately uh, where God wants it, it to lead to. So, so let's jump into our text. I've got three points. Those of you that like, um, oh, I forgot this one. Um, these were the top three things that they said uh, um, were important for, for generosity. Taking time to talk to others, giving to charity, buying spontaneous gifts. Um, I thought from the rest of the stats on there, maybe the last one is the one that everybody was the best at, <laughs> buying spontaneous gifts. And maybe buying spontaneous gifts for yourself on Amazon Prime, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> that's really actually easy to do, isn't it, right? So, okay, those are, but this is what people said were, were some of the most important things for, for generosity. Um, here's where we're going to head today, though. If, if some of you like to take notes, uh, this seems like a weird way to break up our text. Uh, but our first point is we're going to talk about the impact of generosity. The second one is gonna, we're going to talk about the motivation for our generosity. And then that's not a typo. The last one is going to be impact again. So this is kind of an impact sandwich today. Okay? So, but that's where we're going to head in our text. That's what we're going to talk about as we pull apart this kind of concept of generosity. Um, now, you're welcome to follow along with me in your bulletin if you'd like. Uh, we're going to start with that verse 5, and you noticed I kind of got, um, I think it didn't make it into the bulletin, but it did on the screen behind me. Um, but verse 5 is, 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 sets the context for what's happening and what Paul's talking about with us in 2 Corinthians. And so I think it's important for us to know exactly what he's addressing. So verse 5 says this, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish, finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. So, understand what's happening in our text today. Uh, Paul is writing to the Christians in the town of Corinth. And, and uh, they had decided on their own that they were going to send a gift. Now, understand what was happening kind of uh, um, contextually within that Mediterranean world at this point that Paul was writing. The early Christian church uh, began uh, from Jesus' death and resurrection in Jerusalem, but pretty quick afterwards, there was persecution, right? Uh, and so believers went out into the Mediterranean world and in general went to every major city within the populated world. The city of Corinth was one of those. And so what did Christians do when they went back to their hometowns? They shared Christ. What happens when you share Christ with people that are lost and looking for grace? Churches pop up. So that's exactly what happened. All around the entire populated world, that's what happened in the city of Corinth. Now, remember, the city of Corinth generally were what we would call Gentiles. So they were not of Jewish origin. They didn't know the Old Testament, uh, but they were, they were Gentiles. They had come to faith in Christ in his death and his resurrection. So this congregation had blossomed in the city of Corinth. But they were pretty well aware of what was happening to their brothers and sisters throughout the populated world and throughout the Mediterranean. So they would send letters back and forth, travelers would be going back and forth, and they would hear reports of how their brothers and sisters were doing in other parts of the populated world. Specifically, what they had found out in Corinth was that there was an incredibly uh, um, desperate moment and famine in the city of Jerusalem. 
Now, lots of believers had kind of been scattered from Jerusalem, but Jerusalem still had the apostles. There were still believers, brothers and sisters that, that were there. But the city was suffering from a, a, a remarkable famine. And so people were dying of hunger um, and they needed help. Well, the believers in Corinth found that out. And so what did it move them to do? Take up an offering. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. So this wasn't, and this is important for us to understand, this wasn't something that the Apostle Paul had come and said and, and sent out an email to all the churches in, in the Mediterranean saying, hey, the, the Christians in Jerusalem are suffering. They, there's a famine. They don't have any food. None of that happened. This was a spontaneous um, showing of their generosity when they found out that their brothers and sisters were in need in Jerusalem. And so they said to Paul, we're gonna send a gift. He said, we're a congregation. God's blessed us in certain ways. We're gonna send a monetary gift in order to help ease the pain of those that are in Jerusalem. And so that's what Paul's talking about in our text this was something they had already promised to do. Paul knew that he was going to be coming through town, and so he reminds them, and he says, um, um, remember the gift that you had promised. I'm going to be on my way through, um, and so that everything's ready, I can, I can take that and bring it to the believers in Jerusalem. That's kind of the context for what Paul's talking about. But here's what's really fascinating. Um, was the fact that the believers in Corinth had spontaneously decided to take up a collection for brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, was that a wonderful thing? It, it was. But it's kind of interesting because Paul doesn't spend a ton of time on the actual gift. He actually takes that moment to, to talk even more deeply about the impact that their generosity was having on, on not only their city but on believers throughout the Mediterranean world, okay? Okay, so that's the context of what we're going through. So let's jump into um, the very first few verses of our text. We'll begin verses 10 and 11. Paul says this, now he who supplies need to the sower and or seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the need of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Okay, so first thing we want to talk about when we're talking about uh, that concept of generosity is we want to ask ourselves a little bit what's, what's the impact of that. Well, Paul talks about it here. And it's kind of interesting because he starts that off by saying, now he who supplies seed for the sower will enlarge your harvest, the harvest of your righteousness. Here's what Paul is saying, and here's what Paul is not saying. What he is saying is, the more seed that you cast onto the ground, in general, the more crops are going to grow, right? What he is not saying is, is that every seed that we cast is going to come back and somehow enlarge our bank account. And we know that because Paul goes on and he actually talks less about the physical blessings that come from generosity and he talks more about the spiritual side of it, right? He says, um, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, occasion and through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So when Paul talks about the results of our generosity, right, he actually turns it to something that's far less tangible than, let's say, a, a plant growing. But he turns it 
to something even, even greater. He tell, talks about thanksgiving to God. He says, this service you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So two times Paul attaches this spirit of generosity not necessarily to, to the size of your bank account or to what we physically have in our lives, but twice he ties it to an attitude of thanksgiving. And what's fascinating is it's not just thanksgiving in the lives of us as believers or even the person that's receiving that generosity, but Paul talks about that impact is even broader. So that others are giving thanks to God because of your generosity, right? Now, What's really kind of interesting, and we're gonna talk about this, the impact kind of in the, um, the early Christian world, and then we'll talk about the impact in our personal lives and in our community at the end. But in the early Christian world, we know that the, the radical generosity of early Christians made an impact on those who were unbelievers, okay? Um, we know from outside sources, so these are not biblical sources, that the radical generosity of those believers caused unbelievers and the unbelieving Roman world around them to pause, to at least ask the question, why are these people acting in this way? Now, what's kind of neat is that we have some historical accounts um, outside of the Bible that give us a little bit of an outsider's view of how these early Christians lived their lives and their spirit of generosity. Um, this one that I've got here for you is from the Epistle of Diognesis, and it's actually a, a kind of a summary of a little bit longer section. So let me read that for you. It says this, Let me tell you why Christianity is spreading so fast. Christians busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They live in their own native lands, but they live as aliens. For every foreign country is to them as their native land, and every native land is as their foreign country. They marry and have children, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They share their table with everyone, but they don't share their bed with everyone. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are poor and make many rich. They are short of everything and yet have plenty of everything. They are treated outrageously, but behave respectfully. They are mocked and they bless in return. When they do good, they are attacked. When they are attacked, they rejoice as if being given new life. It's a pretty remarkable quote, isn't it? There's kind of four things from that that um, made an impact on the unbelieving world around them and on this historian specifically. We're not gonna go through all four, but in short, this is what he talks about. In the early Christian church, there seemed to be a remarkable absence of racism and classism, okay? Um, that, that it did not matter whether you were a slave owner or a slave, a ruler um, um, or a commoner. It did not matter the color of your skin, that people were becoming Christians from over almost every single strata of life, okay? Now, for us, on some level, I think in America, we... We, under, we, we praise that, right? We're, we're a melting pot, and so I think that's very true. But in the Roman Empire, and in fact, countries around the world, that classism, that stratification of society is very much set in stone. And so the fact that within Christianity, people were coming to faith from every single class, from every single strata of society, made an impact. Enough that this historian noticed it, right? Second one is that they had a high view of life. 
So when it was, it was common practice to simply toss infants aside if they weren't the gender that you wanted, what were Christians doing? They were literally taking them in, creating orphanages, right? Third one, they had a very high view of sex. Right? So in the Roman Empire, it was remarkably promiscuous. In fact, uh, um, if you were a, a noble Roman man, you were expected to have as many partners as you could ever want. What does he see in the Christian world or in the Christians? That they're saving that gift of sex just for their spouse, right? And the last one is an overwhelming amount of generosity. And you kind of heard that in that quote in several different spots. That, that um, even as, people, as things were taken away from them, they continued to give. And so I don't think it's a small thing. And I don't think it's an insignificant thing that the early Christian church was marked by and characterized by a radical generosity. It was in those early Christians. The question we get to ask ourselves today is, is that what we are marked by? Okay. To answer that question, we've got to dig in deeper. We've got to understand our motivation. Because if, and this is a little bit of an aside, if we just force ourselves into being generous people, if your pastor somehow like clubs you over the head to be generous, so please do not leave worship service with just that idea. But if we just force ourselves to be more generous, you might be for a while. You might be more generous in certain areas, right? Because we can do that, right? We are high-functioning people. We can, we can corral ourselves in and say, I am going to be this thing. But I'd argue that it doesn't last and ultimately isn't coming from a place that, all, that gives God glory and honor and thanksgiving. And so that's why as believers, we've got to dig deeper. In fact, we could ask ourselves, those early Christians, this wasn't just a moral thing that they wanted to do, was to be seen as generous. It was coming from a life source and from a well that was far deeper than that. And so let's look at that because that's exactly what Paul talks about in our next section here. Verse 13, Paul says this, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers, prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Okay. Verse 13, I think, unlocks this entire text that we're talking about here. And it goes to the motivation for why we would even consider talking about this concept of generosity. Okay? So verse 13 is remarkably important. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. So Paul's talking about the gift of generosity that they're going to send to the Jerusalem Christians, right? Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Okay? So it starts out with... Here's what Paul's doing. He says, I'm starting out with this gift because that's why I'm writing you, but there's something far deeper that's going on here. And so he starts with the gift and then he continues on to their confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Now, understand where Paul is bringing this from and we're kind of coming into it backwards. But Paul begins, and every one of us as believers begins 
with Christ's grace. That's the wellspring. That's the motivation for even talking through a concept like this. Right? It ultimately comes from Christ's grace. In fact, that's where Paul directs us back to. And what is that uniquely Christian concept of grace? It's undeserved love. It's Jesus Christ having laid down his life on the cross for you. And so that's where Paul begins. Now, that shouldn't necessarily surprise us because grace is what has changed our hearts, right? In fact, if, you, if we don't understand that concept of grace, we could argue whether we are Christian at all because grace is Jesus Christ and that incredible gift that he has given to each and every one of you. And so Paul starts there. And for us as believers, if we even want to talk through this concept of generosity, we have to go right back to the absolute source of it, which is Jesus Christ, his love, and his forgiveness for you and I. That our sins have been washed clean, that he has poured out on us more than we could ever ask. And so Paul starts there. And what's fascinating is then he continues on to our confession, right? So what begins with grace moves on to how we speak, what we believe in, what we choose to do with our time and with our energies. And then ultimately, it produces a life that looks generous. So that's our motivation, right? Not to be good, upstanding Christians, but because, of, because knowing what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so we can talk about this concept of generosity because it flows from God's generosity in Christ given for you. Now, that's where Paul returned those believers in Corinth. In fact, that's where their spontaneous gift came from. It came from no other place than, than Jesus, than knowing that everything that they had, even their eternal life, came from God above. Now, that gives us a unique opportunity, I think, as believers. Because our hearts are set right to ask our God, how can I give you thanks through the things, through the time, through the energies and the abilities that you've given me in my Christian living? And that's where Paul goes on to, to give us kind of a, a beautiful example of the ongoing impact that our lives of generosity can have. So continue on in, with uh, verse 13 once again. Um, oh, but I missed this one. The Apostle Paul, so we're in chapter 9. In chapter 8, this is what, how he laid out the depth of the generosity that God has given us. He says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's our motivation, isn't it? That's the storehouse that we've been given, that you've been given in Christ. Nothing short of his life and his forgiveness. And the opportunities that God gives us, we see again in verse 13. Paul says this, Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession. Now, that's a pretty thick sentence, verse 13. But pull out of this that, that little spot right in the middle. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession. So what's Paul saying here? He is saying that our generosity, that how we live our lives is going to open up opportunities and windows to be able to share something that is far greater than anything this earth can provide. 
says, by, by our generosity, by how we live our lives, it will open up windows of opportunity for us to share nothing short of Christ. And Paul says it's actually happening, right? He talks to those, those Christians in Corinth and he says, your generosity is opening up opportunities for Christ to be shared with people that don't know him. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Your generosity, how you treat the people in your life, in your community, in our church as they come in, open up opportunities for us to share something that is far greater, far deeper, and far more important. And it's Jesus Christ. It's his grace. And it's that eternal love that we have. And so Paul talks about the impact of what our generosity has. We could see that a little bit, um, historically speaking, in the lives of the early Christians. Within 200 years, the Roman Empire, which was entirely pagan, would be considered Christian, right? What was one of the biggest windows of opportunity? What was one of the greatest impacts that the unbelieving world saw in the believers' lives? It was a radical generosity. And I think it looked like a hundred different things, right? Because sometimes I think we boil down this concept of generosity. There's a temptation for us to boil down this concept of generosity uh, just into dollar figures, how much do we give? In fact, I probably gave it away at the beginning um, when we talked about how much people give in a given year. But in truth, that is such a small sliver of it, isn't it? Because our generosity as believers takes on hundreds of different forms. Some of them are easier for us than others. Right? Generosity of emotions as we reach out to those that are sick or hurting or struggling. A generosity of our time Right? Maybe something that we guard even more dearly than our wallets is our time. Right? That we are willing to take time for those that are in need. That we are willing to take time for one another. That we are willing to take time for a community that does not know Christ as yet. Right? The use of your abilities, the unique talents and gifts that God has poured out into your life. Being willing to use those gifts right, for the good of others being able to use those gifts that may open up windows for you to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And so when we talk about this concept of generosity, it is so much broader than just dollars and cents. In fact, I would say that is a very small sliver of it. In fact, I would go, I'm gonna go even a step further. I think as Americans, um, we, are, we are remarkably financially blessed. I also think in general, as Americans, we are, a, a, um, we are remarkably apt to give to causes. You've probably seen that. You've probably been a part of that, right? When there are floods, when there are hurricanes, when there are disasters, in general, as Americans, we are willing to give towards those things. And that's wonderful. But for us as believers, that's a, that's a small sliver of our overall lives of generosity. And so I asked at the beginning, are you a generous person? It's sometimes a hard question to ask or to answer, isn't it, right? And I think each and every one of us have to ask that of ourselves. And there are areas where we are more apt to be generous and other areas where we want to pull back. I'm not gonna answer that question for you. You can think through it on your own. But here's an answer that we should never doubt. Our God himself was remarkably generous with you, right? When we come to church on a Sunday morning, there should be no doubt in our mind of the generosity of our God above. 
His generosity led to laying down his life for you and I and for the people outside of these walls and for your family members and for our community. That generosity, that forgiveness of sins is ultimately what motivates our lives as believers. You're gonna celebrate Thanksgiving this week and I think if you made a list of the ways that you've been blessed, you probably wouldn't find an end to that list. But maybe here's a challenge for us as believers. Let us live lives of generosity. Right? Lives that are willing to give of our emotions, of our time, of our ability. Lives that are willing to open up our hearts, our homes, and our emotions to those around us. When we do so, God's going to give us remarkable opportunities to share something with people that is far more important than I was going to say turkey. This is a ham. <laughs> and food on a table, right? Be able to share something with them that is far deeper, more substantial, and more motivating than, than all of the, the physical blessings that we may have in our lives. You're going to have the opportunity to share Jesus Christ. That grace, that meal, never ends, is all-surpassing, and it's meant for all. This Thanksgiving week, let's give thanks to our God above for all the ways he's blessed us, but let's also look for opportunities to share that blessing, that gift, which is so important. A gift that Paul says is an all-surpassing gift. Jesus Christ and sins forgiven. Amen.